welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Back at it. Another Q&A, guys. When is um, this air? Because we might need an announcement right now. Yeah, we do. This is next Friday. Uh, okay, so next Friday. So Monday coming up, Charity Shirts launch. So i um, glad I asked. So it's Friday the 19th, 20th? I don't know. Whenever you're listening to this, it's probably Friday, hopefully, or you're listening to it over the weekend. 18th. The 18th is when this is coming out. And on the, what's Monday? The 21st. So on the 21st, Monday, Christmas week, we are dropping the charity shirts. The charity shirts uh, are all going to be one big donation to Make-A-Wish Foundation. So there's going to be one special kid getting their wish granted and we're going to contribute to that um hopefully do the whole thing obviously if we can raise enough but regardless we're going to be contributing to an individual a young individual and their wish so make a wish i felt like is a good one for christmas um it's a really really big and impactful one especially because it's it's children on their deathbeds you know yeah. making one last wish which is really cool for us to do so the the shirt launches on monday um we can say it now the shirt is based off of uh oasis my favorite band and it's their logo in a sense but it's not so they can't do anything about it <laughs> there's no copyright infringement yeah. um but it's very similar and it's uh it's all white with black logo um, really just a clean looking shirt. It is it's, it's super clean. The cut too is the scallop cut. So it, it's actually like fitted around your waistline. It's fitted around your shoulders. It's like an athletic fit for both men and women. Um, we have both, uh, you can see pictures on the sales page that will be up on Monday as well as my Instagram. Um, I believe minimum donation is, is $10. So you'll be, have a chance to buy the shirt, decide how much you want to donate, and then you can help us support a young kid with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So be on the lookout on Monday. Um, that's coming up. That's really the only announcement I have for today. Uh, I just wanted to mention that before we get into the questions. Yeah, sure. I'm looking forward to those shirts. Um, you and Shane came by and we took the advertise or marketing page photos, but those are super clean. I like them. I'm going to get a few of them. I like, I like keeping it simple. Honestly, like I think doing too much stuff all over them is, you know, but now after those, uh, the the ones that we just made for the team that they don't know they're getting, um, well, they'll find out when they open their Christmas present. But or listen uh, to this. Now I want to do the next charity kind of similar to that. Yeah. Because those look sick. Yeah. Those are going to be dope. So, yeah. Um, keep, yeah. Your, uh, keep a lookout on Instagram. You might see them around Christmas time. Yep. Exactly. All right. Cool. Let's get right into it, man. Um, we got a lot of questions today. We're going to start the first one off from Maddie Bunker. It says, I started a cut in April of this year. I started reversing in November. I lost about 20 to 25 pounds and have 16% body fat. I look and pretty, I look and feel pretty good. I am slowly upping my calories and progressive overloading so I can build muscle. Although I look lean, I don't look as shredded, especially in my abs that I wanted. I look, I want to look leaner, but don't want to, 
too low of body fat percentage. Should I continue with this reverse diet for a while and then cut again? Any tips, please? I think the hard part here is if you want to be shredded, you kind of have to be willing to sacrifice some of your health. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, I mean, she just said, like, I cut and it was successful, but I didn't get as shredded as I want to. And anytime I hear, like, oh, I want to get lean versus I want to get shredded, lean is sustainable. Yeah. You know, like, you can... Like what, so like for, for me as an example, the, the last photo shoot I did, that was pretty sustainable. I mean, I was lean, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't shredded like crazy. Right. This time I'm going to try to push past that and hopefully get pretty damn shredded and that's not going to be sustainable. So you have to be willing to accept that. You know, it depends on how far you want to push your goal. I think if you're really into fitness and bodybuilding and stuff like that as a sport, it's fine to do to get shredded every once in a while. You will deal with some adaptations hormonally and metabolically but it's just kind of i mean it's just part of it you know like i mean really like logically speaking if you if you ask me like why it doesn't really make sense like i'm gonna i'm gonna basically eat less until i have like really low energy get completely shredded and sacrifice some of my health (laughs) like to take a picture Mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird thing yeah but it's a sport it's a it's a it's a competitive nature against myself it's it's something that i'm striving for but i do not go into it expecting to sustain it i go into it expecting to get shredded accomplish the goal probably gain five plus pounds and then stay there yeah um which will still be lean you know so I think uh, the risk you run into, especially as a female, is just staying too lean, being shredded. Is it's that's going to cause negative hormonal adaptations too. People got to remember that fat produces hormones for us. Uh, fat also binds to vitamin D. Fat helps with cholesterol, with which helps with testosterone production. So if we get too shredded, all of these fundamental processes that require body fat in order to happen. They go by the wayside. You know, you can kind of get by by having enough fat in your diet because it'll supplement it, but it only works to a certain point. You For know, sure. there's there's people that uh, when reversed when reverse dieting first became a thing, um, I think I've said this before. They called it uh, the five gram you to death. Like it sounds really hardcore, but essentially what that is is like if you go through a diet and you get shredded, and now you're eating fourteen hundred calories on your competition day. Instead of me going, all right, you're you're eating fourteen hundred, you're really unhealthy because this competition, we're going to go 1,800 mm. to make you feel a little bit more normal and then slowly reverse from there, which is probably the better route. Okay. They would go, all right, we're going to go from 14 to 1,450. And we're going to go to 1,500. So it's like literally adding like 50 calories, like barely anything. In what kind of increments of time? Week, one to two weeks. Okay. Adding five to 10 grams of carbs, barely any calories. So, so even less than that because 10 grams of carbs is 40 calories. So you're like literally less than 50 calories adjustment. Sometimes Mm. it's 25, 20 grams, 20 calories, which is next to nothing, right? So what happened was they were inching up over time. These people stayed shredded. Like I saw people that went from 1,400 calories to 3,000 calories and they were peeled like they were about to get on stage. But they felt like dog shit. Mm. They still had hormonal issues. They still had poor blood work. Their testosterone wasn't replenished. Their cortisol was still high. And the only explanation for that is because they don't have the body fat they needed. So rather than doing that, what you should do, and this is why the recovery diet became a thing, is jump your calories up to, say, it's 1,800. Put a little bit of body fat on so your hormonal process can start to kick in. And then go really slow so you can try to stay lean. For sure. Because you're already in a healthier place. So as far as her question, her question is what? Like, what should I do from here? Yeah, I mean, she just asked for any tips. She already went through a cut and she reversed. And now she's staying pretty lean, and she's adding more calories, correct? She's, she's slowly upping calories and progressive overlaying so she can build muscle. My advice to you is if you're already lean and you don't have a photo shoot or a competition to go 
get shredded for. What I would do is rely more on like this G flux theory with your reverse diet. And this is what I like taking a lot of people through when I reverse them is like, you're already accomplishing progressive overload. So keep pushing more progressive overload, keep pushing work capacity. So maybe set a timer, like make some EDTs in your program. Like you go through a superset and it's maybe it's a dumbbell bench press and a T-bar row and you're doing three sets of eight each time yourself, see how long it takes you. And then if it takes you 10 minutes to get through that at a sustainable pace, your goal is to try to get four rounds in 10 minutes, right? You're not spending more time in the gym, but you're getting more volume for the time that you're spent there, which is going to improve work capacity and volume. Um, And if you do those things while increasing your intake, that's where this G flux thing happens. It's an energy flux. I'm instead of doing more and eating less. Mm -hmm. So I have a bigger net burn. I'm doing more and and eating more. So I'm fueling myself to do more. So I'm always just a little bit ahead of myself with doing more. And what happens there is that's where we see hyper responders. People reverse diet and they stay super lean without having those hormonal repercussions. It's because they, they add in training as they, as they do it. Now there's definitive returns. You can't do that forever because otherwise you'll be doing two a days and two hour sessions and all that shit. And that's just not sustainable. Yeah. Nor is it fun. Uh, but I think that uh, it's a good concept to use during a reverse after you make the initial bump and you're feeling good. So she said she's feeling good. She's healthy again. At that point, I think it's important to Im- increase volume and work capacity so that you can utilize those calories, stay pretty lean, increase calories, and just be happy with that. You'll either stay where you're at, which is already lean, or you'll get maybe a little leaner in the process. If not, just build some muscle, which might make you look leaner. But then you're not putting yourself back in that hormonally compromised place until you need to be, right? For uh, sure. Now, again, if you have a photo shoot, then use this time as a diet break. Wait till Christmas. You know, have, have your food, have your calories at maintenance, whatever you get them up to, and then go into an aggressive cut, which will have to probably be just as low as you were before you went to the reverse because that's too short of a time to really, like, build up your metabolic capacity. Because she said, when did she say she started reverse dieting? Did she say? Um, April. April. Oh, so she's been doing it for a while. St- oh, no, no, no. She started reversing in November. November. So she started just the cut month. in April. So if you started the cut back again in January, let's round up and say you had two months, which it probably wouldn't be two full months. That's that's enough time to give you a little bit of a metabolic boost or recovery or replenishment. But I, don't, I, I still think like if you finished your cut at 1,500 calories and you reverse up to 2,300, I think you would still have to drop down to 1,500 to see – any progress from a fat loss perspective, um, any meaningful progress, especially if you're already lean. So I would probably wait till the new year, take this time to take a diet break. If you do have a photo shoot or something that you need to get shredded for. And then at that point, go with a cyclical approach where you're like, all right, I'm going to go back to that 1500 aggressive approach for two weeks and then take a week diet break, two weeks, week diet break, so on and so forth. For sure. So dope. Great answer. Um, all right. So we got a next question from B pit fitness. He says, Best strength program for someone who has already, who has only ever trained for aesthetics. I believe this is a she. Oh. I'm oh. going to start trying to put their name instead of their Instagram handle. Yeah. Because her name is Brittany. Oh. You wouldn't know that, but yeah. be fit. <laughs> Did I say him yeah. or he? Yeah. My bad. Um, all right. So the best program for somebody who has only done aesthetically driven programs. Um, I mean, first answer is anything that you haven't done yet. So, I mean, shit, CrossFit would work for you, you know, but I think it, it's so hard to answer because it depends on your goals, you yeah. know, like if you're, if you've only done aesthetically driven programs and that would kind of make me believe that you're aesthetically driven, you want to change the way you look. If that's the case, my switch would probably be going from like a, a bodybuilding style aesthetic driven program to like a powerlifting strength based program. 
what that's going to be is, is way lower in volume, but it's going to be higher intensity. Um, you're probably going to break through a lot of plateaus that you've been stuck at because bodybuilding training alone will only carry you so far with strength and the low rep ranges. So by switching to sets of one, two, three, four, five, like five and lower and doing some heavy lifts, periodizing for progressive overload, you're going to get stronger. And then in three months, when you return to that bodybuilding program, you're going to be stronger in those lifts doing eight, 10, 12 reps, which is going to lead to more volume, which is going to lead to more muscle growth. Most definitely. Um, which I think is smart for anybody who's aesthetically driven and doing bodybuilding style programs every three to four months switch from that to, I mean, you can even wait six months, but no matter what, every once in a while, every few blocks switch to a strength-based low and low volume program just to build strength so that you can come back to the high volume and break through some plateaus. Mm. There's also some research that shows there might be a resensitization factor. Some people swear by it and some people say it's not that big of a deal. And it's hard to say which is true because both sides get great results. Yeah. So I think both sides can work. I'm a fan of it because I think, it's not only there's the potential of your muscles responding better to higher volumes when you come back to it, um, but there's also the added benefit of you're going to get stronger and neurologically improve from that strength phase. And then also from a mental perspective, it's just kind of refreshing. It takes you out of the norm for a while. I know for me, every I can go like six months before I need like a serious change to my training or else I just, I'm bored, you know? So like I can do an upper lower split for months on end but after six months, I'm usually like, man, let's try five days. Let's yeah. try a full body day. Let's try something else. Um, that's, that's part of the reason why I typically five stick months, with Five months, man. That's a long time. Six months. But yeah, yeah. it's a long time. Yeah. But in the bodybuilding world, that it makes sense to do that because it's just a slow and steady progress, right? Like for six months, I did a push-pull legs that was very, very similar every week for six months, basically. And very minor changes every four to six weeks. And then for another... Uh, three or four months, I did like a upper lower push pull leg, same thing. Um, and then after that, when we started the cut and right before we started the cut, I went right into a uh, conjugate style program again, which upper lower split one because of time, but two, because with conjugate, you can change variations more consistently. So I don't get that boredom at six month mark. Like when I get six months of doing a upper lower conjugate style training, I'm not like, man, I, I need to change things up because we've been changing it up yeah. like every three weeks, you know, every two to three weeks. Um, but all that being said, I think probably a powerlifting style program is probably the best bet for aesthetics. Yeah, you can and you can do one of two things. You can do like an upper lower powerlifting program pretty easily or you could do a full body uh, because you haven't yet. And a full body, I would recommend doing like a DUP where maybe you're training three to four days a week and it's you're doing uh, like you're squatting three times a week, doing some speed work, doing some hypertrophy work and doing some strength work. And you can do that. Uh, with different variations. So maybe your strength day is back squat, your uh, high rep day is front squat, and your speed day is box squat. And then you have the same thing for deadlifts. You have like RDL for your hypertrophy day. You have uh, like a whatever deadlift you're strongest in, conventional sumo trap bar for your regular strength day. And then like a, um, a barbell band elevated speed deadlift mm -hmm. from a rack, something that's pretty safe and you can be explosive with against resistance uh, for your speed day and then do the same thing with bench. You know, maybe you go dumbbell bench for or incline bench for hypertrophy, flat bench for regular and speed bench for speed. And then what you would do is stagger them. So day one, you have strength deadlift with, or I would probably go speed, speed squat, strength bench press, hypertrophy deadlift. Then the next day is going to be speed bench, 
deadlift strength, squat hypertrophy. And then the last day is going to be uh, speed deadlift, hypertrophy, whatever I had left, bench, and then strength squat. But what you're doing is essentially staggering. So you're not trying to do a speed day, which I've done in the past, and that's fine, like having a strength day, a speed day, and a hypertrophy day. But it typically works when you switch them around. Otherwise, every yeah, every session. So. Oh. Like basically one, you do strength, speed, and hypertrophy in each session, but for oh, a different lift. Yep. Okay. Otherwise it's like hypertrophy day is pretty brutal from a muscle soreness perspective because you're doing everything in the high reps. And then the strength days just like, just zap you because yeah. you're going heavy, heavy loads. One rep max almost. Almost. Yeah. yeah. So like staying below five for sure. And usually you work up to that. So maybe you go like five, three, one at over three weeks, but nonetheless, it's super neurologically fatiguing. You just feel lethargic, just dead afterwards. And then the speed day is easy. Cause it's like light loads and fast movement. You get it done quick and it's kind of like, well, that was a breeze, you know? <laughs> so it makes more sense to even it out throughout the week. And I've mm-hmm. done both and it's way better that way. So I would probably go with that kind of approach. Some, some kind of DUP or a f- upper lower split power lifting. Yeah. Like, uh, if you need information on that, I mean, uh, Joe DeFranco, Conjugate and Juggernaut are kind of like my three go-to educational places for that stuff besides our own, obviously. Uh, but if you need those programs, obviously we have a ton of those yeah. uh, in the tether trainer. Uh, you mentioned, I, I, I laugh because you mentioned that the speed days are easy. <clears throat> Wouldn't they just be light weight, more reps? No. Same. So like, uh, cause speed, so speed work, y- you, it, it's, it's not supposed to be fatiguing. It's supposed to be neurologically demanding, right? Like it's, it's supposed to, how do I, it's like, it's it's neurological, but it's reaction time. It's it's like you do like six sets of three, so you do more sets, oh. but you do three reps. Okay, but you're only doing sixty five percent. Okay, normally I do sixty five percent for eight to ten reps. Okay, so it feels light. Yeah, but it's it's not about like how many reps can you get. It's like how fast can you move that fucking bar. Yeah, which if you're like a really really high level power lifter, you can get tools where they actually make them. They're pretty cool where you can like attach it to the rack and then it's it's like i don't know if it's a camera if it's a, like a laser or some shit wow. like a radar but it can tell you your bar speed wow so you can see how fast am i moving okay otherwise when we go do it you know it's just like all right just fucking explode yeah move fast yeah. <laughs> you know that's the goal but as fast as you can yeah, yeah and i think everybody should do that but powerlifting specific programs are the only ones where i'm like all right speed work with the barbell definitely you know other people i'm like do a chest throw do a slam do a jump something yeah. like that um Okay. Yeah, I was confused. I thought with speed work, you would do lighter weight, more reps because you're trying to work on speed. And then I was going to argue, like, well, it's not easier then because you're doing more reps, but that's not the purpose of it. Yeah. So, like, you would be right. It wouldn't be as easy. But, like, once you hit rep five, your speed doesn't. Declines. Yeah. So, so absolutely. So, it goes from being speed work to, like, it's like like we go, all right, we're going to run sprints. And you're like, all right, cool. And it's like, all right, one full lap. And you're like, bro, by like the first turn, I'm (laughs) jogging, (laughs) you know, because ATP production, all these energy systems go, Absolutely. okay, let's be sustainable, not fucking sprint all out. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. That was good. Um, Let's go to the next one here. We got from Steven Thibert or Thibert. I'm an advanced lifter of seven plus years. I typically switch from a bro slash bodybuilding split to a full body functional high hypertrophy every 12 to 16 weeks throughout the year this usually negates any joint issues that the volume of the bodybuilding split can induce i'm generally a very healthy and injury free lifter don't deal with any joint pains and haven't seriously injured myself in in my lifting career however for the last three years i for the most part avoid any barbell bench press or direct overhead pressing variations 
seems to keep my shoulders healthy. Anytime I start to go down that path of doing any direct overhead work or bench or barbell bench press, I notice some discomfort that lingers and I leave it alone. Not a big, not a big, big deal. However, one thing I find to be interesting since I started the tailored trainer, I'm on Facebook. Hyper, no, that's not Facebook. That's full body. <laughs> I'm on full body hypertrophy five day split. Dude, I just reference FB <laughs> as Facebook. That's new generational. Uh, <laughs> since I started the tailored trainer, is the fact that despite all shoulders are feeling healthier and and stronger than ever as I go into week five of seven. Now I credit this to your top level elite programming. However, I am curious why this is. Is this just the right amount of volume, or what would your thoughts be? Go for it. Yeah, this is cool because he basically comes to us. He signed up. I remember it because he – so the funny thing about Steven, like a funny story, he um, – okay, so the the apartments I'm living in right now with uh, – the, the temporary apartments where the house gets built. Yeah. Those are the apartments that Shannon used to live in when I met her. Yeah. Right? So I used to go – I I mean, you remember, I, you were my roommate. I used to crash at her house all the time, and I would wake up and go lift in the apartment gym sometimes, right? And uh, me being the hustler that I am, I took a bunch of business cards, and I literally put them on every, like – side table in the lobby in the gym i put literally one in every single locker like i opened the lockers and put them in Whoa. so if somebody came to use a locker it would be like boom boom performance like sitting there wow. yeah dude i was like fucking grinding <laughs> steven lived in those apartments he found the card wow and he like followed me hit me up he's like yeah i found your card in my apartment gym i was like oh dope man and then he he turned out he was a trainer and he followed bigger it was like a small world but yeah now here we are, and he's using our program and stuff. It's really cool, but um, and shit, that was four years ago. Damn, but that's awesome. Um, so he's following the full body hypertrophy program, which is a five day split: um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, taking Thursday and Sunday off. And it's it it's hypertrophy based because you really don't go below eight reps, I don't think. But it's it every day is full body, so you almost work every body part every mm-hmm. every day. Um, I find with people full body programming. So it, it, he says that he switches it up to avoid joint pain and stuff like that. I would agree with that. Um, sometimes I think it's also when you're an advanced lifter, it's less about because like for some people like full body, you can't do for too long because the frequency of you do like an RDL or deadlift or a single leg hip or some kind of hip hinge movement four to five times a week on yep. a full body program people start to have hip issues, for sure. right? Other people get hip issues if you have a lower body day and we do five hip variations on one or two days, you know? So I think that it's really dependent on the person. So more than likely the reason switching back and forth tends to have a positive effect on your joints is because if you follow a program for 12 to 16 weeks and you're progressing, but you're an advanced lifter, you can only progress so much. So you either get to a point where you're not progressing anymore and you need to make a big change or B it's getting stale or C you you're trying to force progressive overload when you're not there strength wise yet. When you, when you say stale, you mean plateauing? Yeah, you're plateauing or you're mentally just like not with it because he's like, I've been doing the same shit for okay. 16 weeks like we were talking about in yeah. the last question. Yeah. Um, or the most likely scenario is, like I said, if you're an advanced lifter, you're just not squeezing out. Like like if w- if we look at like your programming and we go, all right, we're doing barbell bench press every week. I can almost guarantee every one to two weeks you're adding five pounds to bar mm-hmm. for the next however many months because you haven't been barbell bench pressing consistently in a while until just recently when we started training again. And – that doesn't happen with somebody like me because I haven't skipped training in so long that 
I'm like, okay, if I can add five pounds every four to six weeks, I'm crushing it. Yeah. You know? So I think when you do a program for a long period of time, you get to a point where you're not like, you can go a whole month and you don't see any progress on your PRs. Now you feel like it's not working or you're forcing. So you're adding weight that you shouldn't be adding yet. And that's where you get joint issues. Okay. Right. So when he changes it, it's because he's changing it. The progressive overload stimulus starts from scratch again. And he has room to go before he gets that sticking point as an advanced mm. lifter. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, that's kind of like my thought process behind that. But um, why are your shoulders feeling better than ever and not hurting anymore that you are training in the tailored trainer? That's the real question. I think um, you kind of just I mean, partially answered that. That's part of it. Yeah. Uh, but I think specific to the shoulders, I think that, number one, inside my programming, there's a lot of pulling. So, and, and if you have shoulder issues, sometimes a full body approach would be good because that means you're doing pulling movements every day that you're in the gym, which means that you're doing some kind of retraction, right? Of your scapula, which is going to pull your shoulders back, fix your posture. It's going to put less pressure on the interior side of your joint, less pressure on your pec, minor uh, tendon, your bicep tendon, all the things that usually get fucked up with people. Yeah. Um, rotator cuff kind of goes out sometimes with too much overhead work, but usually it's all on the front. So if we do enough face pulls, shrugs, rows, pulls, anything like that, you're going to be going into extension. You're going to fix that issue. So it could be the fact that now I have you doing pulling movements five days a week. Mm -hmm. That's helping your shoulders get stronger on the posterior side, which is help aiding the, the it's healing the front side, essentially. Um, it could also like in, in, if I have somebody doing an upper lower split and they have shoulder issues, I still have them do some kind of face pull or pull apart on their lower body days okay. as, as part of the warm up because I want them doing that shit every day. So you, it's the frequency of pulling and upper back movements that might be fixing your shoulders. It could be simply the ratio of push to pull that I use. I tend to use 1.5 to two times more pulling than I do pushing. Um, a general rule of thumb has always been two pulls for every one push. So you do twice as many rowing or pulling movements than you do pressing movements. And I think that's great for a lot of gen pop because they're not, super physique driven and a lot of them have bad posture from sitting around all the time right so for those individuals it makes sense to do twice as much but for somebody like me who like I take care of my shoulders I do pull parts even on the lower days I don't count that towards my volume and stuff I might do a one-to-one -one ratio because I'm aesthetically driven I want my chest to be just as developed as my back yeah so if I just do some warm-up stuff band pull parts shoulder health drills I'm, I'll be fine um so can I ask you a question yeah. is pushing this might be a stupid question, but is pushing a lot more stressful than pulling? Yeah. Yeah. Like on the muscle or on the joints or? Yeah. For two reasons. Number one, because pressing pushes your shoulder joint into protraction. Yeah. So protraction would be forward glide, sure. which is good. If I'm doing a press, I want this forward glide, right? At the top. Yeah. Um, retraction is retracting, right? The problem with a lot of people is they press and then when they lower, they stay in that protracted state. And now I'm putting a lot of stress on the joint. If, totally. I, if I retract, which is why, like, uh, I got that slingshot thing. Yeah. Uh, we, CJ, and this is a good tip, too, for you, Stephen. Get a slingshot, Mark Bell slingshot. So CJ, my brother-in-law, wasn't benching because his shoulder was all fucked up. And I was like, put this on. And he couldn't do as much weight. And it put him in a position he's unfamiliar with. And I'm like, where's your shoulder pain? He's like, there is none. And yeah. I'm like... Because your shoulders are in the right position. Because when, when you have that slingshot on, it forces your elbows in, which activates your lats. Huh. So it puts you in a rowing position. So now you're essentially rowing the barbell into your chest on gotcha. the negative, yeah. which is better for your shoulders. Yeah. Um, 
usually when you have to change to that form, when you haven't done that, you usually got to regress weight because you're not used to it. Your body adapts to whatever you do. Um, it's just like, uh, it's like my hip thing, right? I shifted to the right. I was fine shifting to the right because I compensate I got strong shifting to the right until I reached the like 90% of my one rep max and then it was like nope gone too much yeah now I have to go back to scratch and be like okay let me fix this so I can build that squat back up and pass that sticking point I was at because my hips are moving right so it could be uh just your your form on those but I don't think that's it with Steven's case because I don't think my programs changed his form because I'm not there like cueing him and showing him how to do it um but it, it could be the push-to-pull ratio that I use. It could be uh, the frequency of rowing and upper back work that you're doing on that program, um, which is why I tell people you should do band pull parts every day of the week. I mean, there's really – you can't go wrong with yeah, it. Absolutely. For guys, I think it's great too because you just build those monster traps. It feels good. Yeah, it feels stretch. good. Yeah, it's big stretch. Yeah. Your chest feels better. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I think that's – I mean, that's the main part. Like – the biggest thing is you just want to get your, like, if you look at the average person, even me right now, like I'm, I'm leaning over, right? My shoulder's in protraction. Yeah. It's not retracted. If I was retracted, I'd be like this. I'd be like sitting straight up. Right. So because we're in that state, you have to encourage that retraction. So totally. it's most likely the, the frequent horizontal pulling or band pull parts in the program, um, the ratio of push to pull. Um, and I will also say too, the exercise selection that I choose matters especially with that program, that program uses a lot of fundamental basics. So you're not going to see a RNT single leg RDL with a three second negative and a isolation hold at the bottom, like something crazy that you got to think about. All right, I'm balancing. This band's pulling me to the left. I'm trying to pause at the bottom with a stretch, like keep my back flat. It's like, hey, you're just doing RDL. You're doing a bench press. You're doing a chin up. You're doing a military press. Like we keep it basic barbell curl, like things that you can really just slow down and focus on. And those basic exercise selections usually tend to be better totally. for individuals who have any issues or injuries. Yeah. So that's great, man. Yep. I think Steven would get a lot out of that. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Uh, next question comes from Jessica McQuaid. And real quick, I just want to say thank you to Steven for asking yeah. that because it makes me excited. One of the things I always say that I really never get a ton of feedback on because it's not something people usually don't come DM me or email me and be like, Hey, I I moved horribly or I was in pain and now I'm not like, it's, it's not usually, it's like, Hey, I lost 10 pounds. Hey, I built some muscle. Hey, I got stronger, whatever. But hearing the background of you getting out of pain because of my programming kind of like backs up when I say like, this is safe and effective programming. Like this is a program that's not only fun and effective, but it's going to keep you in the gym for a long period of time. Like I take pride in my, my athletes or my clients not hurting themselves and being able to consistently train. We're getting worn out or fatigued. Yeah. And I think honestly, the only way you can run a training inner circle or membership site is if you're good enough at programming to do that. Yeah. Because there's almost 300 people and they're doing those programs. Like the likelihood of somebody getting hurt, pretty high yeah I mean, there's a lot of people yeah <laughs> but nobody's getting hurt yeah so it's like you you really got to pay attention to i think this is where it goes beyond volume and intensity it's like you really got to know the art of coaching and programming because that's what yeah, especially when give or take 200 room or gen pop you know exactly yeah well, that's one of the reasons why like I, I to me the part about fitness and training i love most is program design i love like the art like being an architect of yeah. like adjusting and bringing things around and then waiting to see what does the client say about For this? Sure. How do they feel? Yeah. Um, Chad Gable is a good example of that. I, I test a lot of things on him 
because he's like so diligent and he'll give me feedback of like what he loves and what he hates and he's another good example he had shoulder issues when he came to me and now he has no shoulder issues he's still wrestling and he trains five days a week heavy he's fucking jacked yeah super jacked have you ever tried to find the lab results or the qualifications behind the supplements you're taking probably not in fact, it's pretty hard to find because the supplement industry can be a shady place. And it's really hard to do background checks to find out where the, the, the products and the ingredients are sourced and see if there's any lab tests publicly available online. But the cool thing about Legion is they give you all the information you can possibly need and provide you with content around education for training and nutrition outside of the supplement industry. So they'll teach you how to improve your body without their product, but they'll give you a product that supplements that to help benefit you and get better results along the way. Not to mention they're on Labdoor, so you can see their rankings as one of the top supplement companies for purity and quality that is on the market. I cannot recommend them enough, and I've been recommending them to clients, members, uh, my friends, my family, everybody for years. I've been using them for years. And now to have them as a podcast sponsor is pretty damn cool. So if you enter your promo code BOOMBOOM, you'll save 20% on your first order and start collecting points. You can also head over to buylegion.com slash BOOMBOOM. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the podcast. All right, let's get to Jessica McWade. McQuaid. Due to my current schedule, I am only able to manage weight training three consecutive days in a row, often Friday through Sunday. What approach would you recommend taking to make the most out of these days? Taking into account, I have a minimal recovery time and would like to keep a full body focus. Minimal recovery time? So it says I have a minimal recovery time. Is uh, what is that? She's I training mean, three days. Does she? She's training three days a week, and does she say what days? Due to my current schedule, I'm only able to manage weight training three consecutive days in a three row. Three consecutive days. Okay, so. Often Friday through Sunday. Yeah, so that's that's what she probably means is like minimal recovery time is basically like I got to be recovered from Friday's session to get into Saturday's session and then from Saturday to Sunday. Okay. What I would probably do is I would follow a diet that has more calories on those three days, first of all. Um, maybe even like. If you're doing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe even like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So like you come into the training sessions, eating more food, having more fuel, recovering better, drinking more water. Even if you're at maintenance right now, like put more emphasis, like take your weekly caloric intake and just give your, those three days more calories. So you, that alone is going to help your recovery. Make sure your sleep is, is, is good. Then your sleep habits are good. And then I would essentially, uh, you could do one of two things. I would do an upper lower full body approach. So I would go, uh, or even full body first. So you could go, uh, full body strength. So you go in and you do squat, bench, deadlift, heavy row, right? Um, really neurologically driven, but you're not going to be super taxed right after that. Um, so then you follow that up with an upper body hypertrophy day, which is less taxing than a lower body hypertrophy day. And then you follow that with a lower body hypertrophy day. And then you have four days in a row of nothing, which means you're going to be totally fresh by the time you get to that strength work again. And I think because of that pattern, you'll never run into a point where you're neurologically too smashed. For sure. Um, the other thing to remember too, is sometimes it's good to overreach. So it might be one of those things where like weeks one, you feel good. Week two, you still feel pretty good. You're progressing. Week three, you're progressing, but you're starting to feel sore. Week four, you're like pushing to finish. Like you're like, I, I'm dying here and then week five you deload super hard totally and then you have a super compensation effect from 
overreaching. Um, overreaching and overtraining are two different things. There's functional overreaching and then there's straight up overtraining. Overtraining is not good. Functional mm-hmm. overreaching is purposely pushing your body just past that line and then pulling back so you can recover from it. And that's good because that line gets higher. Yeah. As you push past it, recover. Push past it, recover. Now that line goes higher and higher, which means you can handle more volume intensity over time. Um, and that's and that's been shown in, in I mean like studies with Olympic lifters and power like stuff like that. It's it's functional overreaching is a very common thing used in, in the strength sport. Um, is there any specific specific line that or number you go over that line for mm-hmm. functional overreaching? Like I wish there was. Yeah. Like like go ten percent yeah. over your volume. Exactly. Yeah. Um there's not. I think it's one of those things where it's like you kind of got to just test the waters because I've seen people that they try to go past that line and they don't know where they the line learn. is. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to overreach this week and you're like, Oh, actually no, that wasn't like, that hard. And it's like, you're just not even close to line yet. Yeah. So usually what you should do is push without a deload for as many weeks as you need until you find that point, you know? And then at that point you can pull back. It's one of the reasons why like the, the progressive set model works. Okay. I don't like it still as, as it's not my go-to choice. But where we're at a set every week and then mm-hmm. we pull back. What that can do though is, yeah, by the end of this the phase, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the gym because you might be doing six sets of everything. But it at least shows you where that line is. For sure. So if you get to a point where you're like, all right, I can, I'm handling this many sets on my legs, this many sets on my upper body per muscle, this much set on my limbs, like my arms as accessory work. That's the, the at that point I was just like smashed. It's like okay, well like pull back to fifty percent of that so you can just have a few weeks to deload and maintain, and then drop like ten to twenty percent below that, and just stay there. That's your sweet spot. Like totally. why go past that? Just stay there. Um, progressive overload over time. But um, if you want to do a functional overreaching, you have to do a, a progressive set model, or you have to do a, a progressive overload model that works to hundred percent of your max and then pulls back. Gotcha. You know, sometimes even more than a hundred percent, which would depending on the lift is where like, like if I'm doing, I do my one rep max, hundred percent of my effort. And then we add weight still. And I know I'm not going to get it. I just control the negative and you help me up. Yep. Now I'm functionally overreaching because I'm purposely doing more than I can handle to try to adapt to it. Um, so you're saying that that's something she, she might want to, she might want to do that uh, because you have four days after the training to recover. So that's pretty good. Yep. Um, I would, I would do that. I would probably go with uh, upper lower full or full body upper lower or, or an upper lower full body. I think that would work really well. But you could also do three days in a row of full body and just change the variations you're doing. So like day one, maybe your heavier lifts are on your lats, chest, and hamstrings. So you'd like a deadlift, a bench press, and a, a weighted chin up. And then your accessory work is your upper back, your glutes, your quads, stuff like that. Um, and then day two, your heavy work in the low rep ranges is your quads. So your squats, uh, your shoulders, so your overhead press, and then maybe your mid upper back. So like a T bar row. And then day three, you kind of do, I would do hypertrophy across the board. Right. But either way, you're kind of like, if I do heavy, heavy military press three days in a row, I'm going to be smashed. But if I do heavy military press day one, and then just like lateral raises day two for my shoulders, I'll be fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you just have like one day of those three, that is focused on strength for each of your main muscle groups. And then the rest is just hypertrophy. For sure. So. All right, cool. Uh, next question comes from Life by Krista. It says, do you have certain supplements you recommend for building muscle mass? I've entered my off-season. I'm looking into uh, some supplements to aid my process. So there was, there was more to this question, too, that I didn't put in here. But essentially, um, 
she is a 25-year-old trainee who has ND, endometriosis. I can't pronounce that word for shit. Um, Welcome to my life. So she, uh, yeah, with Joe's, all the crazy words. <laughs> um, so she also has, she's been on birth control since she was 13. She has to avoid the placebo pill. There's some like testosterone fluctuations and she doesn't get that boost after cycle. There was like a whole bunch involved with the hormonal side. Because of that, I might recommend something like DIM. Um, I'm not even going to pronounce what that stands for because it's, I mean, if you Google DIM supplement, you'll see what I mean. It's extremely long word. It's okay. very confusing to read. But you can go to examine.com and look up DIM. Uh, it's a good hormonal balancing agent, like to balance everything in your hormones. It's just a good, like if anybody has hormonal dysfunction, it's a good thing to consider. Um, Legion also has one called, uh, did you just look it up? <laughs> what is it? D-I-I-N-D-O-L-Y. L methane, D D Nando, uh, dude. Yeah. D I I N D O L Y, L methane. Doesn't make sense. It's a chemical compound. Yeah. Um, Legion has a product now called Vitality. I take mm-hmm. that every day. That might be something you want to look into. Um, there is DHEA in it, which actually would probably help the testosterone issue you're having. Because um, even as women, you need to produce testosterone at certain times of the month and year. Uh, and, and just that. That's a part of the hormonal cascade of everything going on. You know, a lot of people think testosterone, men, estrogen, women, but men need estrogen, women need testosterone. It's just that men need test more testosterone than estrogen and women need more estrogen than testosterone. Sure. DIM can help balance that estrogen balance. Um, DHEA might help the testosterone issue if your DHEA is low. If your DHEA isn't low and you're having testosterone issues, it means that your testosterone issues are coming from something different. Um, that would be a good one. Uh, so the Vitality supplement from uh, Legion might even have DIM in it, but that's a good one. Um, there's always a link in the description of this podcast so you can save 20% on that too. So click that and head over there. It's called Vitality. It's something I take every day. Um, I would take fish oil and a multivitamin, not because they're hormonally helpful, but because it's going to help in general with metabolic health. It's going to help with um, insulin sensitivity, hormonal function, uh, everything, right? And those things are going to contribute to a healthier body, which is going to perform better. Um, I wouldn't recommend any creatine, creatine monohydrate, um, because creatine monohydrate has been proven. It's never gone wrong in a study. It's never shown a bad result. It's always been productive for muscle growth and strength. Uh, so I definitely would recommend that. Um, and the only other thing I can think of, like besides obviously whey protein, which is more of like a food su- supplement, you know, it's a yeah. food replacement. The only other thing I can think of is is some kind of digestive aid if your digestion's fucked up. Because mm-hmm. if your digestion and your gut's fucked up, then you're not going to absorb nutrients as well. And then you're not going to be able to build muscle with the nutrients you're taking in. Yeah. So it kind of defeats the purpose. Like some enzy- enzymes. Yeah. So gut health is really important. Enzymes. Um, some probiotics are good, but things like that. Um, but mainly, I mean, like, look into DIM, look into, for the hormonal purposes, look into Vitality by Legion for the hormonal purposes. For building muscle in your off-season, creatine monohydrate is going to be the number one thing to go to. You could try betaine. Betaine is in uh, Legion's pre-workout. It's good to take pre and post, so I add it to my post-workout, and I take it with their pre-workout. But betaine is a, pre- a fairly new supplement that... It's hard to explain the mechanisms behind it, but I would I would recommend looking it up on Examine too, and and it's it's sh- been shown to be favorable for body composition changes, um, and I actually 
I got the advice to start taking it from Eric Trexler, mm. um, who he has a PhD and he mainly studies supplements. So he's like the go-to person to learn about supplement science from. Um, he wrote a mass article about reviewing the research on it. Um, and there's some research that shows no difference and there's some sh- that show a significant difference. And as long as there's not ones that are like, this is bad for you, yeah. then it's worth a shot. You yeah. know, if you, if your goal is to build muscle, it's like, fuck it, spend, I think I spent 30 bucks on it and it lasts me like six months. Like it's a really cheap supplement. Wow. Yeah. yeah on Amazon. So just a bulk supplement. You do the math. Yeah. <laughs> super cheap. Uh, so is creatine. Creatine is super cheap too. So creatine, betaine, um, uh, fish oil, multivitamin for health purposes, vitality and dim for hormonal purposes. But for muscle growth, I would just say betaine and creatine, um, and a good pre-workout just because if you have a pre-workout, you have caffeine, that's going to boost your performance. And, uh, Potentially like citrulline malate, uh, beta alanine, betaine again. Those things are going to be conducive to building more muscle too. Like sure. these, like half a percent. Yeah, you know. But it's if you add a bunch of half percents, you get two percent, and if you get two percent more gains, then <laughs> I'm <go>. happy. Yeah. <laughs> so perfect. I think it's a great answer for them. Um, we got a couple more here. Uh, next one comes from Becky Eisenbron. Says, hey, Cody, I love what you do and listen to your podcast. I read your blogs and currently in week six of Functional Muscle 2.0. Let's go. I started a cut in August, and in the last month, I've been reversing out and hit my maintenance just before Thanksgiving. I took a couple days off from tracking around Thanksgiving to enjoy, to enjoy family and not stress over numbers. In the end, I gained five pounds. I know that's not a significant increase, but after working so hard in my cut and getting my weight down to my goal, it's hard to see that number again. My question is, will I lose that five pounds at my maintenance or do I need a mini cut? On average, how long does it take to drop water retention weight? Maybe might be an independent answer. It definitely depends. Yeah. Um, how long? Is there a norm, normally answer? Yeah, normally for water retention and fluctuations from like a holiday meal or something. In a healthy body, I would say less than three days. And somebody who maybe really overdoes it or doesn't have the best gut health or isn't like 100% metabolically sound, meaning like maybe they did a, they did a diet pretty recently, but now they're at maintenance or whatever. Um, it might take up to five days. If you, if it's lingering past five days, then you gain weight. Yeah. So it's, that's when it's like, okay, now you got a mini cut. Um, and there are times where it's smart to cut calories, but it wouldn't even be considered a mini cut. I'm talking like, okay, I went overboard on Thanksgiving. If I did my math, like estimated in my head, I went over by 2,000 calories. So I'm going to create a 500-calorie deficit for the next four days. Oh, okay. And then my mini-cut lot is done in four days. You know what I mean? You just compensate for what you overdid. I think that's the best approach. Um, I typically recommend like post something like that. You can drink a lot of water, uh, squeeze lemons in it if you can, take dandelion extract, anything you can do to like get rid of extra excess water retention, lower sodium content, potentially do a, like a fast that day. And usually that can get rid of the water fluctuation or bloat um, if you're smart about it. But like I said, if it's lingering or you know for a fact it's more than just water retention, mm-hmm. at that point I would estimate in your head. You don't have to be neurotic and like try to calculate on your MyFitnessPal your Thanksgiving dinner. That's just <laughs> ridiculous. But decide how much you think you went over and then just pull that back from like that week. So it's just like a short, quick deficit just to just get your weekly caloric intake back down and you should level out. Um, but at the same time, we got to remember too, like if your maintenance is your maintenance, 
then your maintenance wouldn't allow you to cut. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like, if I go over in calories and I gain a pound of fat and I just go right back to maintenance, I'm just going to maintain that pound of fat yeah. because I'm at maintenance. So, you probably would have to cut calories, but it would be one of those things where I gained a pound of fat and I cut just enough calories to lose that pound within the week and then I come back up to that maintenance because my goal isn't losing weight, it's maintenance. How? A couple questions. How long is a typical mini cut? Like an actual, I'm sorry, I should say typical, typical or actual. Because you're saying four days here, but that's like you're implying it's a mini-mini. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not even a cut. That's so what's a, a mini-cut? Like, uh, four days is like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, mini-cut is going to be at least three weeks, mm. no more than eight weeks. Okay. Yeah. But it's not a cut at all. No. <laughs> Usually mini-cuts are like four to six weeks long. And what's your, re- uh, you've said it probably before, but what's your reasoning on the lemon? Is it just... Does it flush through your system quicker? Yeah, it it, it speeds up uh, pissing basically. Okay. So you're gonna you're gonna flush out a little bit more water. It's also a natural uh, digestive enzyme. So especially if you do it in warm water, but um, yeah, if you do drink warm water, warm water with lemon squeezed in it sounds horrible. Yeah, like or hot water. You can like actually make it hot, like a tea. Put lemon in it, and it it lim- or it the the warm water uh, soothes your digestive tract. Okay, and then the lemon is a natural enzyme that helps. Yep digest things yep um so yeah like uh for example when i did my last photo shoot um i was drinking i mean you drink a lot of water leaning into it because we do a natural water cut it wasn't like the the old school bodybuilders where you're drinking a ton of water and then it's like don't drink any water today because you got to piss it all out and take these diuretics it was more like drinking a lot of water and then just drinking a little bit less but you're still pissing like you're drinking three gallons a day but you're only drinking a half a gallon yeah you know and and then i keep peeing and all the water weight just kind of flushes out and you look leaner. Um, but I would put lemons in the gallon. Yep. So lemons in the gallon uh, every day. And it decreases water retention. Yep. It just helps that. It also like, and also one of the reasons for me to do it then too was it makes it taste better. Yeah. I was drinking three gallons in a day. I wanted it to taste I mean, pretty good. The lemon I don't mind, but. That's a lot of water. But warm water? Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound good to me. No. But all right. Cool. We got one more question, man. Uh, comes from Gerald Luceo. Blackwell? I, I can't. You almost got through all the names. Can you briefly <laughs> give me a rundown of what a day's eating looks like for you? Uh, yeah, This actually just changed. So, well, um, give us an updated version. Yeah, updated version is, is I've actually, so I've, I've been like having not like gut issues, but like extreme bloat and just like like feeling lethargic and like my stomach's making crazy fucking noises. And I'm like, taking notes of like what's going on here and it was every single night so i'm like all right not every night but it was only at night right only after dinner and i was like okay something you shannon and i are eating for dinner is really messing with me steak and rice chicken chicken dude i tried to eliminate like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna cut out like this dairy product i'm gonna cut out like because like usually it's like it's beans it's dairy it's you know something like that and uh everything still was bad still was bad still was bad and i was like all right, I'm not going to eat chicken all week. Shannon's like, what are you going to eat? I was like, I'm going to eat steak every single night. Ate steak every night. feel amazing. <laughs> so, like, basically. You're never going to eat chicken? I'm going to take a break from it. Mm. If, if I'm at a barbecue or if we want to yeah. make something, of course. Like, I'll deal with the bloat. I don't care. Or maybe it'll go away by then. <laughs> is it bloat or is it, like, stomach pain? Both. I, I, like, so much bloat, dude, that when I cut it out after, like, a day or two, I lost two pounds. Damn. And I like literally could noticeably see my abs more. I was like, whoa, this is, I was clearly bloated. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's crazy. But 
because of that, like I, I changed up my meals quite a bit. So, um, I used to do eggs in the morning and it was always like a whole egg with egg whites cooked in coconut oil. So I got some good fats, take my fish oil on the side, spinach, mushrooms, um, and then, uh, oatmeal. So I'd have oatmeal with grass fed butter, which I fucking love grass fed butter on oatmeal with cinnamon in it. Dude, it's so good. Um, biggest meal of the day was always my breakfast. If you follow chrono nutrition, it shows that like if you partition majority of your calories in the morning, there may be a benefit from an energy expenditure and a circadian rhythm mm. standpoint. So you might sleep better, which your circadian rhythm improving improves all your hormones and everything. Um, and then when you eat more calories in the morning, you burn more calories throughout the day, which is probably, it makes sense. I mean, you eat more, you're going to have more fuel. So your neat picks up, your talking picks up, you just move more and you burn more. Right. But they have studies to prove this. Yeah. So two groups having the same amount of calories each day, one group ate most of the calories at night, one most in the morning, the group that ate more in the morning, uh, lost more body fat. So, um, so I tend to try to do that. Uh, lunch was always Greek yogurt mixed with, uh, whey protein, uh, two packs of quick oats, maple brown sugar, and then blueberries or strawberries and just mix it up. And it's like, the reason for that is healthy starch, uh, with some fruit. So that fructose and glucose combination, which is going to help, uh, utilize multiple glucose transports, which I talk about a lot to boost performance. And then the protein being some way, some case in which I want to do a video on this is because whey protein is going to stimulate a faster muscle protein synthesis response, which we want, but casein is a slow digesting protein, and that's going to cause um, less muscle protein breakdown. So if I have the best of both worlds, like this whey spikes my muscle protein synthesis up like I want for muscle growth, but this protein breakdown makes the, the breakdown rate during my training session keel off because I have slow sustained aminos coming into my system as I train because that's a pre-workout meal. I'm going to have a better muscle protein breakdown balance okay. is what it's called. Um, and then dinner was always whatever Shannon's cooking. It's like whatever meat. So it's usually chicken, steak, or fish, and then, or pork, and then some kind of green, broccoli, Brussels, green beans, asparagus, roasted, and then always white rice. Just always white rice at night. When we drop calories, I cut the white rice out because I got calories. Now that I'm trying to eliminate some stuff and figure out what was bugging me, now it's basically... Breakfast is Greek yogurt with blueberries and grape nuts. What? What? Why did you have to change that? That you figured out it was chicken. I didn't have to change eggs. I just wanted to. Oh, yeah. I just changed up all the meals. But you just said you were trying to figure out stuff to cut out. Yeah. So I cut out the chicken, but I I wanted to change my lunch. I noticed just because yeah, just because I just was getting bored of that Greek yogurt thing. So um, but instead of having Greek yogurt for breakfast and lunch, I was like, I'm just gonna have Greek yogurt for breakfast and it's way quicker it's easier for me to just grab it eat it and leave instead of cooking a big meal which is helpful when we're busy but um greek yogurt with grape nuts and blueberries i don't know if you've ever had grape nuts but it's like a it's like this i look at it like the cereal that 80 year olds eat yeah like it's just like an old school high fiber yeah yeah but it's fire like granola almost kind of yeah it's kind of like granola i remember seeing it in shannon's pantry before i lived with her and being like this is so lame. Like, why do you have grape? Like, I wanted cereal this morning. You got grape nuts? Like, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, these are actually pretty good. Yeah. But uh, I'll do that in the morning. And then for lunch, it's uh, 90% lean ground beef, grass-fed, uh, mixed with bell peppers and spinach. So I saute the bell peppers and spinach and mix it all together um, with my seasoning stuff. And then the the white rice is cooked in water and chicken broth or bone broth. 
so instead of just using water, using bone broth, which is going to help digestion, it's going to help joint uh, lubrication and inflammation, stuff like that. Bone broth is super good for you, but you can do half and half. So if I cook like one cup of white rice, you do like one cup of water, one cup bone broth. Yeah. It gives it like a, uh, wow. sounds gross, a meaty flavor, but it's really good. Weird. Mix all that up into like a fucking bowl. You, I, you, I stole that from Stan Efferding. He makes the monster mash. Yeah. And it's kind of like this thing that he throws a bunch of shit in. Um, and I kind of made my own version of that. But um, that's good. And then uh, and then dinner is literally eight-ounce steak. So there's a big-ass steak. Roasted carrots, because carrots are usually super easy to digest. And then it's cooked in uh, some olive oil, which is going to be my fat. And then dinner is a staple. It's always just casein protein with PB2. So it's just like a snack before bed. Dinner snack, yeah. Yeah. Right after dinner. And no white rice, huh? Uh, white rice is just at lunch now. Okay. But I used to have it with dinner every night, yeah. but yeah. So... That's that's a day of eating for me, and that's right now my calories are at two hundred five protein, two fifteen carb, and fifty five grams of fat. So, nice. and you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, I can't eat fatty meat because I have low fats." Like fifty five is pretty low in fat, and I have steak every night and gra- ground beef for lunch. You can do it, and I yeah. still take my fish oil every day. <laughs> that's fat, you know. So you can do it. Touche. Damn. Do you eat, like fatty steak though? Uh, usually it's sirloin, yeah. but yeah. I mean, there's to get really lean steak is gross. Like I eye of it. round. Mm-hmm. Mm, no, not that too one. lean. Yeah. It's just, that's what I ate when I was prepping for bodybuilding show. Okay. Cause that's the only thing that's my coach just, would let yeah. me eat. <laughs> I cut off the fat of like a sirloin or a New York, but yeah. Uh, New York strip. I will. Yeah. Because there's like, it's like all on that it's side. Like, it's I like globs. Yeah. I can't chew that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's bad. Um, or filet mignon, we'll do that. With with Butcher Box, they don't charge you depending on what kind of steak you get. So I'm like, all right, let's load up on filet mignons. That yeah. shit is so good. not cheap, yeah, but damn good. Yeah. But yeah. Cool, man. That's a great answer. Um, that's the last question. Um, again, look out for those charity shirts. Uh, Monday. Monday. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here, and I'll see you next time.